So there were three things that made me happy this morning. The first was arriving here and seeing some sort of familiar faces. It's been so long. It's taken us a while. But here we are again. Um, and yes, we are the Petties. And yes, my name is Dave. Um, and this is Allison. I, um, that was uh, the first thing that made me happy. The second thing that made me happy was I didn't get to see the artwork that was on the cover. It hadn't yet been finished uh, or printed up or whatever when I was preparing during the week. And um, what I loved was I, was I was devastated at the correspondence between God's word here from the psalm and these images that are here. You'll hear why maybe in a little bit, but there is something about the immediacy of God in what he had, in what he has made. There's something about the immediacy or the proximity of God and his word, his voice in the very tender and the very overwhelmingly powerful things. God's word is potent but most especially for us, God's word is near. I see that in this. So that made me happy. That was my second thing. My third thing is I looked, and we, the first song we sang, Come Worship the Lord, I haven't sung this song for a long, long time. And what made me happy was to see John Michael Tabbot's name. And I'll tell you why because I heard him in concert here in Harrisonburg way back, way back before many of you were born. No, that's probably not. <laughs> but a long time ago, after I had first come to Christ. And I watched him because he had, first, he had just come to Christ. He was, it was a brand new thing for him. And he was kind of weird, actually. But it was kind of great because he was learning and growing. And when I, what I also wanted to say is my second album that I did, it's not about me, but it is. Um, <laughs> the second album that I made here in, uh, over there in Charlottesville, um, I needed a female voice to sing background. And somebody said, oh, we have a neighbor who's done some studio work. And I go, oh, that's really great. So I, she was introduced to me, and it turns out that she did background vocals for John Michael Talbot. So I got her on my album. So it just made me happy to see his name. There's something familiar to me with this. That has nothing to do with the message. <laughs> <clears throat> we start with the problem. Pro we want to address a problem that is contemporary. It has become acutely contemporary. In the last 10 years, I would say, even more so. We have a problem. And the problem is the separation of words from reality. Now, I'm going to give you some heady things. I'm sorry. This is, but we'll try to break it down. And the problem is there's this sense that has been created and almost exponentially developed in the insurgence of the technologies that we have today. The communication technologies, most certainly, media technologies, online technologies, these things that have made not only words cheap,
but actually we see story after story, maybe several stories within a day in front of us, and it's and it becomes almost like fiction, the words that are said, the so many words that the correspondence between the words and what is real becomes, is dissolved. There be, there's this great gap that's occurring. And what fills the gap? It's interesting because this isn't from the latest contemporary, the, the last 10 years. This is from Lewis Carroll back in Alice Through the Looking Glass. An interesting title for what even we could uh, say about what I'm referring to. Humpty Dumpty. Fun character. Sort of. Kind of disturbing, too. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty... No, let me do the voice, okay? When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said, in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean. Neither more nor less. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. The question is, Humpty Dumpty said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be master. That's all. I noticed on the, the shelves of your rector, I noticed there were these, I was looking to see if a book was there, To Change the World by James Davison Hunter, and yes, it was. And then I was glad, but for me, it's a new thing, having read through his book, and I would say it's probably in my top five books of influence for my life. Um, and in the book, he quote, I'm going to quote him. He says this, The problem is this, when the objectified and shared meaning of words is undermined, when we no longer have confidence that words signify what we thought they signified, then it is impossible to impute any meanings to words one desires. And if words can mean anything, they have no intrinsic meaning or at least no possibility of a common meaning. They only mean what we say they mean. There are, there are no fixed points of reference. What is more, there is no authority that can be appealed to in order to definite, definitively establish the meaning of words or to adjudicate which meaning is more truthful or, or, of, or better than another. God, nature, science, democracy, tradition, none of these sources of authority can be trusted because each one exists under the same questioning gaze. They, too, are words that have been emptied of meaning. Because meaning in life is constituted by words, it is possible within the framework of our circumstances to fill it up with the meaning we choose. Now I step off my notes, which is a dangerous thing. I've had discussions with my daughter. You're going to hear about my daughter a little bit later, too. She's a prime illustration for me. She's out of college. She's getting started down in Asheville. 
not Nashville, Asheville. And I think with her, and I also think with my other daughter who went to college in New York City, I've dis- discovered this disconnect that, ex- that occurred, and it's only been actually in reading this book, I saw a personal application for me, which was there is there has been a problem that I was not as acutely aware as a parent that I could have been aware of, or at least I wish I had been aware of, which was they were living in a world where there was this disconnect of meanings. They were living in a plurality of of perspectives and peoples and lifestyles, and they were listening to these things outside of their home. They were, but even prior through the media, which was undermining a ground of meaning that was grounded even deeper in the authority of God's perspective, God's word. But in the shuffle of things in our culture in the present day, it isn't just that authority that has come into question, but also the various authorities in tradition, in various other types in science and whatnot I've alluded to. My point is it visited into my home. This is not an abstract concept at all. This is living in the land of pluralism and finding that that what we used to be used to in a dominant Christian culture in this country, I didn't say that this was a Christian nation, but a dominant Christian culture, what we have discovered is that we are less and less dominant with that Christian perspective. Less and less. To the point that I feel like hear no evil, see no evil, do no evil, or speak no evil... I feel like this is happening on the good part of who I am to be able to speak words that have meaning and connection with others within this culture. It's harder and harder and harder. Thank you, technology, for all the wonderful things you've done. Amazing things, wonderful things that you've done you've also begun to undermine the influence of who we are and the understanding that God actually wants to give to us meaning in life. And these words being undermined is a great source of the problem. Thus, in the contemporary world, we have the capacity to question everything but little ability to affirm anything beyond our own personal whims and possessive interests. The words we use simply fail to have the same kind of traction they once did. I cannot tell you how many times and maybe my own life has become more disconnected, but I don't think so from the world around me and people I remember bringing people to Jesus, a receptivity to hearing the gospel, some presumptions I make that they actually can make themselves. 
not necessarily that the scriptures are God's word, but some other things that we can have a commonness of exchange where we have a ground from which we can talk. Less and less. I'm finding it very hard. If you find it difficult, I feel you. And Christians are not above of this historical rupture. Some intuitively resist its force and pressure, great, and its effects, but many innocently embrace it. I think that happened to my kids. Do they know the Lord? I think they do. Yeah. Are they undermined? Yes, I think so. Have they been pluralized? Yes. In various kinds of ways. Can I say as a parent, I didn't raise you like this? Yes. But I think the game has changed. I think the process by which we go about doing it is, makes our efforts even that much harder. Praying for the families and praying for you kids. Our kids. Being in the world and not being of the world is a tricky thing in this day. Especially with the world that surrounds us. Wow. And one last thing from Hunter, from that book. I've been quoting him here and there. All cred to him. Needless to say, over a century, there have been extraordinary pressures undermining the confidence that Scripture in particular, and by extension, the historic creeds, which we speak today, the articles of faith, and the truth of a Christian understanding generally, have any bearing at all on the world as it is on the daily or the daily lives of believers. There is such a disassociation that's been being made between words and meaning or words and the world in which we live. There's been such a dissociation. It becomes this thing of irrelevance. Not only mis- not understanding, but now it becomes an issue of a devoid of meaning place where it becomes irrelevant. God's words become Irrelevant. Hope I'm giving you the problem, and I'm sorry, I don't want to stay here because it hurts. But it's real. Today, words are not trusted as real. Today, words are distant and dilute. News is opinion, religion is opinion, morals are opinion, lifestyle choices are opinions. God's words, therefore, are not real or trustable because there is no correspondence with reality. That's the problem. That perception, that way of what the world has given to us in this modern day and age. Here's, but, but, in the creation narrative, we learn of a different relationship between word and the world. 
You can look at that cover of that uh, bulletin again of your worship guide. God said, and so it was. There is an immediacy. There is no dissolving of this. The voice breaks the cedars. The voice of God is there when the deer are born. The voice of God actually, when he speaks, God speaks into nature. Things happen right away. Right away. Right away. Psalm 29. Right away, God's there. God speaks, it happens. God speaks, he's there. That's how it works. That's what it is. That's what Psalm 29 tells us. I should bring this down to here because they keep... (laughs) By your word, the heavens were made. And we get this view from heaven. The heavenly angels, they're there. This is God's perspective. View from heaven. At least we get a picture. Now a clearer picture of the way things really are, not the way we are told they are, or the way the behavior is pushing us to think. This is a psalm of the direct connection of God's word and to his world. Ascribe to the Lord what? Glory and strength, might and power. Presence of the Lord over the waters, over the, uh, the presence of the Lord thunders. We see that the promise of word and voice is powerful. And the presence of his word is immediate here. Right here, right here, right here, right now. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare because here there is no gap between God's word and God's world. And because God is present through his word in creation, we, as his people, can trust in his presence and can trust in what he says when he speaks. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with shalom. In a restless universe of people who have gone astray, God, the blessing of this psalm says, may he give his people shalom. They get it. Or at least they should. Rest, shalom, well-being, goodness, beauty, justice, grace, Shalom sets things right, and his strength gives us the power to do it. So we've said this. God's word proceeds directly from him, and his word is very real and present, active, and trustable. So now we have a pathway to begin. That's Old Testament We look in the New Testament and we see 
the preeminent answer of God to this separation between words and reality, most especially between God's word and what is in the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus, the word, is very real. He became flesh and blood. His birth is the only adequate reply to the challenges of the erosion of trust between the word and the world and the problems that attend it. Jesus came here. He put on flesh. The word, the living word, the word made flesh. He has become part of of us. He is near, very near. Right here. And that becomes the presence of God we see is a faithful presence to us in Christ. Faithful to his promises, for sure. Faithful to addressing our sin condition, for sure. Faithful to give us the power, the resident power to Learn to live a different life, for sure. But the point is that he is with us. Emmanuel. This isn't just to reassure us. It actually gives us an answer as we talk to those around us. Or as we live with those around us. Okay, so here's another personal thing. When I came to know Jesus in college, I had come to the conclusion, actually, that life was one of two things. It was either a joke, and there I could laugh with it, or that life in all reality was a uh, tragedy. I don't know how I came to that conclusion, maybe because I lived some life, but I did come to that conclusion. And then Jesus steps into my life. And what I find when Emmanuel came to me was I had a ground for understanding everything. I didn't mean I understood everything, but I had a solid foundation of truth of reliability, of trustability in the Word of God made flesh for me, dying on the cross for me, rising again for me, coming again one day for me. I knew then that from that basis of truth, I could talk to anybody about anything because you know what? It's not that I will know what they're saying, but I have a vantage point from which to look at things And that vantage point is not emptiness, but is actually solid ground. So we see in Emmanuel that God is with us. We saw and know from Pentecost The spirit of sonship is in us. It's in the Romans passage. Crying, 
Abba, Father. So what we have is the faithful Trinitarian presence in this relationship to him. Emmanuel, the Spirit of God crying in us as his sons, Abba, Father. He's present with us. He's not going anywhere. He's committed to us. He's faithful to us. He's near us. He'll walk with us. He'll live with us. Pretty great. In the Eucharist, it says it all as we eat the Word and drink the Word. <laughs> you, Yeah! It's a nearness in the Word of God. Better than the cover of that bulletin. Jesus, who the Father has given, who the Spirit has anointed here. So what are we to do? What are we to do? So my daughter Caroline was caught, has been caught in the disbelief of our time. In, in actually an experience in her life of her church where it became a broken community in her youth group. The scars are still there. You can see them. Just ask her to show them to you. She'll show you. Maybe she won't, but they're there. A broken community of the presence of God, the faithful presence of God in and among his people for his people. She was caught up in the, uh, the disbelief that may have contributed to this, but of the pervasive plurality of perspective in the classroom, teachers that she liked, high school, college, coming from different perspectives, intellectual disparity between words and the world, God's word and God's world. And so, it's interesting too, as a parent, and I'll just give you a warning. Been reflecting a lot this week. Warning is confessional. Be careful as parents to give to the, your young ones simply a negation of the world. I think by defense, I want to, want to fight back and I see it's true. The world has gone kind of in crazy places. But what she needed to hear, and I think our kids need to hear. I think our neighbors need to hear. I think our friends who don't know him need to hear. Is that there is an alternative, good news way of addressing this painful place, our condition. And if we come away just coming out with negation, negativity, Kids pick that up and then they see positivity in other places. What they need to hear is Jesus' positivity. It's grounded in true truth. That's my encouragement to you and that's my confession to you.
I need to work harder. Harder at this. Figure this out. And as a matter of fact, it's not just about me, and that's the, the suggestion that I have for you. Here we go. First, don't buy into the illusion that God's word is not to be trusted. Don't buy into that. Or that God's word is not near. Or that God's word is irrelevant. Sometimes it's a point of figuring out how it is relevant. Work through that. Sometimes it's difficult. But God's word was there in creation, there in our recreation. Why and why for the life of his people would it not be there right now for us in our daily life situation? Okay, he hasn't answered your prayers. Okay, he, as you're confused by other perspectives that have come your way. Plummet those depths, but do it with the recognition that you can trust God's word. Just figure this out. It's not all simple. And actually, the second thing is figure it out together. Figure this out together. It's great that we're together here. I think a lot of these things need some sorting through. Sometimes we need to be arm in arm corporately to do that. And instead, don't get caught up in detaching ourselves from the world around us out of fear. Be fearless. Be bold. Be God's spokespeople. His ambassadors. Spokespeople. His word. Lived out. Shalom. Well-being for those around you. Live it out. For the well-being of those around you, no matter where they come from. Instead, grounded in his good news, we have this wonderful passage from John. For God so loved the world, we graciously and creatively connect to a world that God has made by his word with a new life alternative of redemption. We show them just how real and near and trustable God's word is in our faithful presence as a community. I know I've gone over time. I'm, I, I just really appreciate what we're talking about. I do. I want to live for this. I want to live for him. There's a, I want you to give, give you an example of a, a real-life woman who rang up and bagged groceries and whose sphere of influence was only six square feet. And in those six square feet, she would bless people who would come into her line. God bless you. Have a nice day. She would just eat, give out, as she's bagging, the sense of God's goodness. All kinds of people, and they go through her aisle, and then the store had a problem. And this, the problem at the grocery store was the line started to build in her particular aisle. They didn't know what to do about that. That's the shalom of God, the rest of God, the fulfillment of God, the 
the, good, the blessing of God that comes out of his people lived out in the world. When God's word is real, as it is real, but when it becomes it to us in how we perceive it, real, may his living word be incarnational in us. That's what he wants. The faithful presence of God in his community. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.